Lord, I love thy good commandments. That's part of what we're going to consider in the preaching tonight. Let's turn for our scripture reading to James chapter 1. Remember, the book of James is full of commandments. I think more than half the verses contain an exhortation. And in the preaching tonight, we receive another exhortation, a few of them. Let's read the whole chapter, reminding ourselves of what we've looked at so far and where we are going. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass And the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, he succumbs to the temptation, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself 
unspotted from the world. The text this evening is verses 19 through 21. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, produces not, brings forth not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity or superabundance of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your attitude to the preaching? What is our, your attitude to the preaching? For example, this morning as you prepared coming for church, and even again tonight as you prepared coming to church for the second time, were you excited? Were you eager to come and worship and sit under the preaching again and be fed? Were you ready to be instructed in God's Word? And even more to the point, I can ask, how about even right now, when you are presently sitting under the preaching, and from Sunday to Sunday, as you hear the minister preach, applying God's word to your lives, and he gives you exhortations to live a godly life, what is your attitude? Are you thankful for it? Do you eagerly put yourself under the preaching and listen to it with a receptive, eager heart, with a teachable spirit, ready to follow the exhortations that come across the pulpit? Or are you maybe first critical and you first put yourself above the preaching and judge it? Maybe you get frustrated by the preaching you dislike what you hear. You don't like how the minister gives you the exhortations of Scripture. Maybe you go home for Sunday lunch and you spend your energy talking poorly with your family about the preaching. What is your attitude to the preaching? I bring this up because this is exactly what James is getting at in the passage before us this evening. It's kind of an, a change for us. So far in this series and in this letter, James has been focused on really one topic, trials, and how we come across the various trials and struggles of life. And what James has been emphasizing in this whole section so far is really summed up in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, when you fall into various trials of life. Remember, James is writing here to saints who have been scattered away from Jerusalem. They are away from the city of Jerusalem. This is the early New Testament church. Maybe as Paul's on his first missionary journey, many of these people have fled because of persecution in Jerusalem. Many of them are poor. Many are living as strangers in different cities in the Roman Empire. They are going through a difficult time. And as the loving elder that he is, he writes to these saints to encourage them. And in verses 2 through 18, he gives them instruction regarding how they are to respond to the trials of life. And we've looked at these verses over the last number of weeks. We know what James says. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Because the fact is, your trials are working a good thing for you. God has a good purpose with your trials. And James goes on and he says, if any of you lack wisdom to, to do this, if you're struggling to count it joy in your trials, ask of God for wisdom and grace to do this because he gives freely. And then he gives examples of how we are to count our trials joy. He says, let the brother of low degree, the humble, the poor man, rejoice in that he's been exalted in Jesus Christ. He's been raised to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And the rich man, the rich man can rejoice in the fact that he's been brought low. He's been brought to see his spiritual poverty outside of Jesus Christ. 
Rather than putting his security in his riches, he's learned by faith to put his security in Jesus. Rejoice in that. And then James gives a caution. He says, if any of you do fall into temptation, because we do, let no man say that he couldn't help it because God was the one tempting him. Let no man say that because God is good. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. And there is no changing in God. God is only good. That's what we've looked at so far. But now, as we get to verses 19 through 21, in this next section, James anticipates something. He anticipates someone being in church and listening to this letter as it's being read to the congregation, right? That's what they would do. They would take these letters and and read them in church on Sunday. And he anticipates someone listening to this instruction that he has given so far in this letter. And he anticipates them saying to themselves, All this is easy for you to say, James. Count it all joy when I fall into various trials. But James, way over in Jerusalem, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand the difficult trials I have to walk. And in the text for this evening, what James does is this. James says, receive it. Receive this preaching. Receive this instruction. Don't get angry with it. Don't get frustrated by what I'm telling you. Don't have a bitter attitude when the preacher opens up these verses that I have written and applies it to your life. No, but in fact, this preaching is exactly what you brothers and sisters need to hear. In the trials of life, in the troubles and struggles of life, this is what you need to hear more than anything else. The preaching of the true word of God. This is what you need to hear. And now, of course, that's not just true for the saints to whom James is writing. That's also true for God's people today, for us. In the troubles of life, this is what we need more than anything else. The preaching of the true word of God. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We take as our theme, receiving the preaching of the word. We look at three things. First, we look at the word that is to be received. Second, we look at the manner in which that word is to be received. And then third, we look at the blessedness of receiving it. As we begin, I want to first take the time to demonstrate to you, to prove to you that James is talking in this passage about the preaching. When James writes in verse 19, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath, he's talking about how we respond to the preaching that takes place in church. I want to demonstrate that to us and take the time to do that because I'm not sure that that would be our first thought when we read this passage. In fact, I can include myself in this. I think many of us would be inclined to treat this verse, these verses, as if it were simply a kind of proverb, a good saying for us to know and to to keep in our hearts. Maybe some of us have even memorized verse 19 and we recite it as a general rule for our lives in all aspects of our lives, whether it be at home or at work or at school, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And that works. That's a, a good way to use the passage. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, you'll see that there's many similar statements in the book of Proverbs as what we read here. Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 29, verse 20, seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, we read, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit that is in self-control, better than he that taketh a city. And these are important truths. We really could have a sermon just on verses 19 and 20 and preach just on that calling to be slow, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. These are important truths to apply to our lives, in our marriages, 
dealing with our spouses, loving them, helping them, assisting them. This is the rule we need to follow. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. At work, this is a good thing. In the communion of the saints in the church, we must follow these rules. As Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. And yet, how, are, how often aren't we inclined to act that way? We have that bitterness, that resentment in our hearts, or, or maybe someone else is speaking and, and we just let loose, we, we interrupt them before they're even done speaking because we're angry, right? And, and we say we're so passionate, and, and we use that word passionate because that sounds a whole lot better than being sinfully angry. I'm just passionate. And so often when we're in a heated argument, we're not even listening to what the person is actually saying, but, but we're simply biding our time, waiting to, to get our two cents in so we can speak our mind. How many of us have witnessed someone behaving that way? It's unbecoming. It's ungodly. How many of us have acted that way ourselves? Sometimes this can be exactly where our children can see our sins and weaknesses. And if we're not confessing these sins and talking about these things and repenting of these things and asking forgiveness, living that way in our own homes and families, well, our children can easily get the impression that our Christian faith is nothing but an outward show. It's good for us to talk about these things. And it's good for us to hide these passages of Scripture in our heart to, to help us combat these kinds of sins that that dwell in our flesh and that so easily can start shaping our lives. So these truths are very important. Anger rests in the bosom of fools. But the point here, as I was saying, is that James isn't giving us any kind of mere general proverb to memorize. But James in verse 19 and 20 and 21 is talking about how we respond to the preaching. And again, I want to demonstrate that. So first of all, notice what we read in the immediately preceding context in verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And if you remember last time when we looked at that as our text, we saw that James is talking there about the preaching. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching and applies the preaching to our hearts and minds in such a way that we come to the awareness of who we are as the freeborn children of God. We are begotten again with the preaching. And now at the beginning of verse 19, you see that word, wherefore. And maybe you see that connection then. James is saying, knowing what God does through the preaching of the word, Remembering how God uses the preaching of the gospel to work faith in our hearts so that we are saved and we come to enjoy salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing how important preaching has been in your life as a Christian so that you know the gospel, you know the comfort that is yours, and that's what you have because of the preaching. James says, wherefore, therefore, when it comes to that preaching today, Right now, in your trials, in your circumstances, let every man now continue to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's what James is saying here. He's talking about the preaching, the word of truth. And then if you keep reading in verses 20 and 21, you see that James continues to make reference to this word, this same word, which is the preaching. Verses 20 and 21. For the wrath of man worketh not, brings forth, produces not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness this word, the word of truth, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So James says in verse 20, the wrath of man does not bring forth or produce an obedient life. The wrath of man does not bring forth a life that is a righteous life, a life that is in harmony with God's law. And the implication he's making is this. The preaching does. The preaching does work the righteousness of God. 
Wherefore, put away filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness and receive that word. That's what he goes on to say in verse 21. And notice in verse 21, he calls the preaching the engrafted word. And that word engrafted in verse 21 could perhaps better be translated as the word implanted. It's the word that has been implanted into you by the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of the word engrafted. So that you actually spiritually have received that word. It's entered into you. It's kind of been planted within you, implanted and grafted into you. So that it's living in you. So that you've been changed by it. And so that now, as that word grows in you, you start bringing forth a life of righteousness and obedience. The preaching, as it grows in you and through you, as that word is taken by you, it brings forth good fruit in your lives. And the implication James is saying is this. Now continue to receive that word by faith as it continues to come to you through the preaching. Even the preaching of these things that I have written about in this letter. As you are going through your difficult trials, receive the preaching. And then James says, That preaching which has been implanted into your heart, into your heart has the power to save you. He writes, which is able to save your souls. And that is to say, that preaching is going to bring you along on the road that leads to glory. Through the preaching, you will be preserved in your salvation. You will continue to be brought to spiritual maturity so that you continue to press towards spiritual maturity. That's our theme for this series. Through the preaching, you will grow spiritually. You will grow in sanctification until you are brought to full salvation in glory. That's the idea. And then in addition to all of that, if you go down to verse 22, it, it becomes perhaps even clearer for us to see that James is talking about the preaching. Verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. And that language, not hearers only, clearly implies that James knows that this word is being preached to them. And so we're going to look at that next time. Don't just listen to the preaching, which is tonight's sermon, but do it. So James is talking here about the preaching. And if you compare this with the rest of Scripture, you'll, you'll see that these things line up with other passages of Scripture. Romans 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. And in the context there, Paul says, I'm ready to go to Rome. I want to preach to you that are at Rome also because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And implied there is this, I'm not ashamed of the preaching because that preaching is the power of God to save. It is able to save you. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21 it pleased God by the foolishness of the preaching to save them that believe. And in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, just a few pages over. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, you have a very similar passage to what we're looking at tonight. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And, and the context there in 1 Peter 2 is also the preaching. The point is, it's the preaching that is able to save. The preaching is God's chosen way to save his people and bring them all the way to glory. And it is the preaching that James is talking about here. So I've demonstrated that. That's what I wanted us to see first, because the rest of the sermon is based on this presupposition that we're talking about the preaching. Well, what is preaching? What is preaching? Well, I just had it with the pre-confession class this past Monday night, where we looked at the difference between what a minister does 
and what a seminary student does. We're looking at the church order, and we saw how there's provision for a seminary student to get behind the pulpit. But the language there is very carefully worded. A minister preaches, but a seminary student doesn't preach. A seminary student brings a word of edification. And that's because preaching is the work that Jesus does through the office of the minister. It's official work in the church. And a seminary student doesn't hold that office. Just like a seminary student can't baptize or administer the Lord's Supper. So so preaching is this. We could say is this, first of all. Preaching is the official proclamation of the Word of God by Christ through His church. That's the work of the office of minister, to preach the gospel. But we can also put it this way, very simply. Preaching is the explanation, exposition of the Word of God. That's what preaching is. Opening up Scripture, reading it, and applying it, and explaining it. This is what they had in the Old Testament. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8, verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's preaching. That was a worship service. Reading the scriptures and then giving the meaning of it and then applying it to the lives of God's people. That's what Jesus did when he preached in Nazareth. He he took Isaiah 63 and he read it and then he sat down and he explained it. This is what the disciples did on the day of Pentecost. Joel chapter 2. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And they said, that is what's happening right now. Let let us explain Joel chapter 2 for you. That's what preaching is. And wherever that is faithfully done, wherever the word of God is faithfully preached, there God himself is speaking through the preaching. Jesus himself speaks through the preaching. And then we can go a step further and we can add this. What is preaching? Further, preaching is setting forth Jesus Christ in all his glory. Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. All preaching, if it is true preaching, centers around Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Because Jesus, after all, is the word. And there is no word to be preached if it's not Jesus that is being preached. And there is no preaching if the word himself is not being declared to the people. Jesus, the one who lived a perfectly righteous life, the one who suffered and died on the cross as the head and representative of his people, who is the light of the world, who has abolished death and who has brought life and immortality to light through his death and resurrection. Jesus, who is the promised seed of the woman, the Messiah. In Jesus, there is salvation unto all who call on his name. And true preaching presents Jesus Christ in all his glory. And through the preaching, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is implanted and grafted into the hearts of God's people. The engrafted word. Through the preaching, God takes Jesus. Jesus himself imparts himself to his people. And God's people take Jesus to themselves and they are strengthened in their inner man through the preaching. And part of true preaching is also this. Bringing to God's people the realities that belong to them because of their union with Jesus. And not just the realities that belong to them, but also the callings and the obligations that belong to them as those who belong to Jesus. Walk in holiness. Live unto God. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. Live accordingly. That's preaching Christ. God is your heavenly Father through Christ. Now live out of Christ. Live accordingly. And part of what that means is this. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. As Christians, as those who belong to Jesus Christ, this is your reality, this is what you can do, this is what you may do, this is what you must do, knowing that the trying of your faith 
worketh patience. That's your obligation. That's your responsibility. That's your privilege. That's your blessedness. That's your perspective as you live out of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is yours in Him. That's a very important part of the preaching of the Word. Endure. Persevere. Overcome. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That's part of preaching Jesus Christ and the realities and the truths that are ours in him. And here in James 1, and in the text, that's the word James is exhorting his audience to receive. Receive with meekness this engrafted word which has the power to save your souls. Receive these admonitions I've given you as those who have been begotten with the word of truth, as those who are alive in Christ. Walk through the trials of your life exercising faith, knowing that God is in control, knowing that God is good, knowing that God is a generous giver who gives wisdom to all who ask it of Him, knowing that God is working it all for your good. Receive this preaching. Receive Jesus as these commandments come to you as those who have been raised with Jesus and are living out of Him. Receive the preaching. Receive the exhortations. And that means appropriate them. Embrace them. Submit to them. Believe that the commandments that I am giving you are good and right. Have your whole being put in subjection to these commandments so that you endeavor to have your life shaped positively by these commandments as you take them and you hide God's law in your heart so that you do grow in your spiritual maturity and that you begin to experience the real joy there is when you are counting it all joy, when you fall into diverse temptations, and you are trusting in the Lord, and you are asking Him for wisdom, and you're not blaming God when you fall into sin. That's the word that is to be received. It's very, it's very real and practical for God's people who, who are struggling and who have a difficult way. And then the, the preacher brings these kinds of exhortations. Well, that leads us to the second point of the sermon. To further open up these passages, we need to see how James is emphasizing the manner in which we are to receive this word that is preached. We need to receive the word in the right manner. And there are five things we can point out here, five things I have, regarding the manner in which we are to receive the preaching. First, James writes, we're just going to walk through the text. Verse 19, be swift to hear. That is, be quick to hear the preaching. And we can even put it this way, be excited to hear the preaching. Sunday morning comes around and I am excited. I get to go to God's church and be with God's people and worship God and fellowship with God in His temple. I get to hear Jesus. I get to grow in my understanding of Jesus. I get to understand better what Jesus has done for me. Where I came from this morning and knowing that I've not been left there. I get to see that more clearly so that my mind is transformed and I, I get a better understanding also of how God is worthy of all my life. And I get to hear about the life that I've been given in Jesus Christ. These privileges and obligations that are mine as a redeemed and regenerated child of God. That's exciting. I get to hear God's word for me. I get to learn from it. Be swift to hear. But the idea is also this. Be ready to listen. I think that's interesting also. Just be ready to listen. I think the general trend in churches today is this. More singing, more talking, and less actual listening. What James is telling us is this. Be ready to listen. Prepare yourself for worship by preparing yourself to listen. God is going to speak. Are you ready to listen? God is in His holy temple. 
Let all the earth keep silence before him. And this is something we can all work on. We're not very good listeners, are we? Generally, and, and with the preaching, we have our own thoughts, we have our own things we want to say. Maybe they could imagine in James' day, oh, James should maybe be preaching something else to us right now. James says, listen to God. Be still. Put yourself under this word and truly listen. Second of all, James writes, be slow to speak. And we've already seen that that's a good proverb to live by in a general sense. But it's especially true when it comes to the preaching. Be slow to speak. Be slow to think you have all the answers. Be slow to think that you have everything figured out. Again, be slow to think you know what the minister ought to be saying. Be slow to respond to the preaching with an argumentative and critical disposition. And now for me, personally, that's very sobering because I'm the pastor. And of course, as minister, it's my calling to speak. That's weighty. And I personally need to have this disposition as I prepare for speaking. I must not be quick to speak. I must not be quick to think that I know what this passage of Scripture or what that passage of Scripture has to say. I too need to listen. I first need to put myself under God's Word and prepare to speak only after I have spent time actually listening to God's Word and studying it. That's why we want our minister to have a study, not just an office study, because we need to be those who are slow to speak and swift to listen. This is similar to what James goes on to say in chapter 3, James 3 verse 1, James writes, my brethren, be not many masters. And he says there, don't be many teachers. Don't all desire to be teachers of one another. I recommend listening. That, that's kind of the, the idea. Have a certain reluctance to speak the Word of God as if you know what the Word of God says and what it means. And don't get me wrong here, what James is talking about is pride. So that we, we think we already know what God's Word says, we think we have a corner on handling God's Word, maybe we think we've been taught certain things for so many years, one way that, that we can't be wrong, or we've, we've read certain books and, and this is how it must be, and we lose this quality of continuing to be slow to speak because we've become proud. And usually pride is more a sign of ignorance than anything else. James says, be slow to speak. Then third, James writes... Be slow to wrath. And again, James is talking here about the preaching. Sometimes the preaching doesn't tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes the preaching hurts. It smites us. It punches us right between the eyes, and we get offended by it. I was actually thinking about that a few weeks ago when I was preparing earlier messages on this series. When I was preaching... Uh, on verses 9 through 12, how the brother of low degree is supposed to rejoice in that he is exalted. And I thought about how some might receive that, those who are poor might receive that and say, easy for you to say, Pastor. You're not in my situation. Or I also thought about it earlier when in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. In fact, I've had discussions with some here in church, of how difficult this sometimes is to do. And I sometimes anticipate people saying, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. I can, I can look back on my ministry. Think of what the preaching has to say about servants honoring and obeying their bosses. People don't always like to hear that. I've experienced that. Especially from a minister who might not always seem to appreciate how difficult it is to work under someone else's authority. 
Just think of what the Bible has to say about keeping the Sabbath day and not doing your own pleasure on the Sabbath day. And people don't always want to be told about what God expects of his people as his children and his friends and his servants. Just think of what the preaching has to say about having a, a bitter spirit, holding grudges, and how evil that is. People don't like hearing sermons on these things. Just think of how Jesus' preaching was received by the Pharisees. It moved them to anger. Remember when Jesus gave them that parable of the wicked husbandmen? Right? There was that master, that, that king, who went to a faraway land and he, he put husbandmen in charge of his vineyard and then he sent servant after servant to, to collect the, the gains from that vineyard. And one servant is sent after another servant and those husbandmen beat up those servants one after another. And then finally the master sends his only son. And then the husbandmen, the, the vine dressers, say, this is the master's son, let's kill him and then we'll have the vineyard for ourselves. And, and after Jesus gave that parable, the Pharisees perceived that Jesus was speaking about them. And they were ready to lay their hands on him and kill him. Isn't that exactly what the prophets in the Old Testament had to deal with? They were put to death for their preaching. Sawn asunder. That, that's the tradition of Isaiah, right? Cut in half by King Manasseh. The people in church hated how the prophets called out their sins. Think of the treatment Jeremiah experienced. Think of how many people have left the church because the preaching made them mad. I've heard stories of ministers walking into church at the beginning of the service. And a person in the pew sees who's preaching and they get up and they walk out of church. And what's odd is that they already knew that that minister was coming to be preaching. But they go to church, and then they make this public display of walking out as if they want to make a statement to other people about their anger. There's something seriously wrong with that person's spiritual life, beloved. Something very sickly. Now, I might... I'm not saying that ministers are infallible or that there is never a reason to be angry at the preaching. James writes, be slow to wrath. And then he adds, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And if I love God, and if I know that I have been begotten with the word of truth, that's what I want. I am focused on that, a life that brings forth the fruits of righteousness so that I am walking in harmony with God's law. I want to live a life that pleases my Savior, a life of loving God and loving my neighbor. And the wrath of man does not produce that life. When the preaching exposes to us our sins, our attitude needs to be this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let the righteous smite me. It will be a kindness. Those are proverbs to hide in our hearts too. That's third. Slow to anger. Then fourth, James writes, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And I think that phrase can be taken in two different ways. First, it can be taken this way, generally, lay aside all immorality. And if that's how we are to understand it, then James would be talking about all kinds of filthiness, but perhaps especially sexual impurity, all filthiness in that sense. The sexual smut on TV, the porn, the pictures, the unclean jokes at work, the impure lusts, put that filthiness away. And then he says, and superfluity of naughtiness. And as children, we might say, what does that mean? Well, it simply means superabundance of evil. Or we might simply say, your sinful nature. As we heard this morning, though we have those sinful natures that cleave to us, that, that is an overflowing fountain of evil. That's what the Belgian Confession says, right? It's a constant fountain spewing forth evil. And James says, put it off, lay it aside. So first, the words could be taken that way in a kind of general sense. But in the context, the words can also be understood this way, and I would recommend us think about this. 
put away that filthy attitude of resisting the preaching. It's as if James is saying this, your indifference to the preaching, your attitude of of speaking in wrath against the word, that's not merely a failure of some sort. That's filthiness. It's a filthiness that overflows out of your sinful natures. Put away that sinful attitude to the preaching. And even as you receive these exhortations in this letter and there is something in you that resents it and pushes it away, put that filthiness, put away that superabundance of naughtiness. Well, that's a good word for us. I think that's the idea perhaps here because notice what he says immediately after. Fifth, on the heels of these words, he writes, and receive with meekness this engrafted word which is able to save your souls, which is able to save you from filthiness and iniquity and darkness and death. Receive it with meekness. And that word meekness, so so that's the fifth way, meekness. The manner in which we receive the, the preaching of the word is with meekness. And that word meekness is a very rich word. It can also be translated as humility, right? That's what meekness is, humbleness of mind. But it also has this idea teachableness. Receive with humility and receive with a teachable spirit the engrafted word. That's meekness. I'm ready to be put under God's word and I'm ready to be shaped by it. I'm ready to listen and to grow and to be taught of the Lord. And then as we'll see next time, I'm not just ready to listen to it. I am ready to do it. I'm ready to do it. And then you have Four more chapters of exhortations. That's how we are to receive the preaching. I know who I am of myself. I know that I'm not even worthy to be sitting under the preaching. I don't deserve a place in God's church. I know that apart from the light of God and the spirit of God, I only twist and corrupt God's word. I also know on the other end of the spectrum that knowledge puffs up. And I know that if I know anything at all, If I know anything at all, it's this, that I know very little. And I need God's word to instruct me. That's the manner in which we are to receive the preaching of the word. Now, as I say all of this to you, I'm being impressed myself with the calling of minister to be right and faithful in dividing God's word of truth faithfully. Well, that's another text in another time. That's the manner in which we are to receive the Word of God. Finally, we should see the blessedness of receiving the Word of God this way. And for this, we we could go to to the end of verse 21, which is able to save your souls. But I first am thinking of verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And what's implied is this. When you are swift to hear... When you are slow to speak and slow to wrath and you do put away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and you do receive with meekness the engrafted word, word, that does work righteousness. And that does lead to the saving of the soul. That does lead to growth and holiness. That does lead to spiritual joy and happiness. That's blessedness. The blessedness of putting ourselves under the preaching of the word and listening to it is that we learn to walk in righteousness. We learn to think God's thoughts after him. We have a closer walk with God. We experience God's favor. We we experience that we are living lives that honor God and that please him. And that's happiness for the child of God. That I'm pleasing my heavenly father. You see, there's no happiness, there's no blessedness in being swift to speak, in being slow to hear and slow to ang- and, and being swift to anger and being slow to listen. There's no happiness in filthiness and superabundance of evil. There's no pleasure there. There is blessedness in the path of righteousness. Blessed, we could have sang Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Right? Happy is the man who does not walk 
in the way of sinners. Receive this word. Receive this word. You are able to out of Jesus Christ. You have been begotten with the word of truth. The word of truth has been engrafted into you. Now receive it. And I end the sermon the same way I began it. What is your attitude to the preaching? Forget the minister. We're not talking about the preacher. We're talking about the preaching. Bear this in mind. God's word never returns unto him void. It will have its effect. And there are always two kinds of listeners. Those who are ready to hear the word, who are teachable. And there are those who are hardened, hostile to the word, and whose hearts are closed by it and hardened by it. The word is sometimes hard to receive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes it does hit us right between the eyes. Sometimes it humbles us very deeply. I think we're going to have that in the rest of the series. James hits pretty hard in this book. May the Lord give us the grace to receive with meekness this word, to submit to Jesus, and then also experience the power of Jesus and his word conforming us more and more to his image. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the preaching, and we thank Thee for its power and what it does to us as Thy children. We pray indeed that the preaching from across this pulpit might always be faithful and true. And we pray that Thou wilt give to us all receptive hearts, open ears, teachable spirits to receive with meekness thy glorious word, to receive Jesus. Bless this preaching to our hearts and bless this preaching to our lives. Truly shape us by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.